This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Please, this morning, in the Word of God, to Luke chapter 15, 15th chapter of Luke. It was Charles Dickens, uh, the famous, uh, famous author, who said that the parable of the prodigal son was the greatest short story ever written. And Luke records for us the most of Jesus' parables. He is the one who wrote down some of the longest and the most familiar ones, like the Good Samaritan, or the rich man of Lazarus, or the friend at midnight, and, and several more. However, I think it is without question that the prodigal son is by far the most memorable. It is the one that we recognize uh, the most uh, quickly whenever it's spoken of. Jesus was a master storyteller. He knew his audience very well. He was uh, culturally relevant with everything he talked about. His audience uh, would be well-versed in all of the customs and the habits of the day, and Jesus often would weave those into his stories. Now, as well as parables being a device for a teacher to use when he was wanting to make himself known what he was saying so that it could be readily understood, it was a two-edged sword. Uh, Jesus used parables to make himself understood to those who wanted to understand for those who wanted to know. But he also used illustrations in ways that those who didn't want to know, who didn't want to understand, who would reject him and oppose him, that they would miss the whole point of what he was saying. Uh, that's generally how they worked in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 13. Let me just read this. The disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him will be given, to him more will be given, that he may have abundance. But whoever does not have, even that which he will have will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your ears, for they see, sorry, your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And so generally that's how it worked. However, this parable is different in that this was a parable that was so easily understood that it couldn't be misunderstood. And Jesus was aiming this parable deliberately at those who would refuse his message, who did not want to hear his message that had opposed him for a long time now, so he was aiming this parable at them. And it's a wonderful parable, it's a profound parable, but it's a simple parable for people to understand 
And he knew that they would not miss the point of what he was saying, so he deliberately aimed it at them. Now, this is the longest of Jesus' parables. It is a masterpiece. It has so many elements to it. Everybody that was listening to Jesus that day, all of them would have known of some prodigal somewhere, some waster of a son somewhere. Everybody that listened to Jesus that day would have known about some rich landowner who had a big house and lots of servants. And I'm sure everybody that listened that day knew of some elder brother type, perhaps in their own family. And so Jesus began to speak this parable, and it was a time of great opposition. Every, everywhere Jesus went towards the end of his ministry on earth, no matter how many were around him, intermingled with them would be the scribes and the Pharisees. They were not there because they loved Jesus. They were not there even to, to think how wonderful a teacher and preacher he was. They were there to pick holes in everything he said and did. And it got to the stage where they just so hated him with a passion that they were wanting to kill him, wanting to murder him, get him out of the way. And so the context of this parable is when he was making his way to Jerusalem for the last time, where he'd have the final Passover meal and then go to the cross. And so this was one of the last opportunities they had uh, to expose their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness, which just absolutely appalled Jesus. He hated hypocrisy. He hated self-righteousness. And they were full of it. And so this particular parable uh, would, would do that. And so the, the key to this parable hangs on the front door. Uh, actually, there's three parables. Uh, the third one's the one we're going to look at, the parable of what we call the parable of the prodigal. But the two before that uh, also he shared, which is to do with this one as well. And uh, it was about the, the shepherd who left his 99 sheep and went out and found the one sheep that was lost. Uh, and he says there in chapter 15, he comes back and says, Rejoice with me, I find my sheep which was lost. Say to you, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Not that there, were, wasn't any just, not that there were just persons who didn't need repentance, but these Pharisees thought they were the just people who didn't need repentance. So Jesus is having a dig at them here, as he often did. Or that woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors, saying, Together, rejoice with, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so, when you read these three together, you'll see that they're basically saying the same thing. That God loves sinners that are lost, that are found. He loves lost sinners who are found. And not only does he love them, but he rejoices over the fact that they have been found. And all heaven rejoices. There's a party in heaven over every sinner that returns to God. And so that's the heart of the message, basically. And so you can imagine uh, the crowd that was around Jesus. Uh, it says it right at the very beginning of chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes 
complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying. So the reason why he spoke this parable and the other two was because they, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were there and they hated sinners. Jesus loved sinners. They hated sinners. And so you can imagine when Jesus began to uh, speak these parables unto the people, the reaction within the crowd, particularly the scribes and the Pharisees. And so they'd be listening intently. It was riveting. They would listen every word. And in their minds, they would be coming to their own conclusions of what he was talking about, only to discover the real truth of what he was really saying when he got to the, to the end of it. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful parable. As far as the Pharisees were concerned, eating with a sinner was unthinkable. It was unconscionable. No self-respecting Pharisee would have ever eat with a sinner. As far as they were concerned, they were lost souls, and they were deservedly lost souls. And they had no intention of trying to save their lost souls. They hated them. They despised them. And this is why Jesus was so angry with a religious crowd, because he loved the sinners. He wanted to save their lost souls. And so you can imagine them listening and listening, wondering and drawing their own conclusion, and suddenly he would just say something, and they would realize he was talking about them. And so the opposition to Jesus was fierce at this time. And this exposed their true character and nature. Now, there are three characters within this particular parable. There's obviously the father and the two sons. And as preachers, we often uh, speak of the prodigal son. And we often speak of the, the loving father. But seldom do we really talk about the elder brother. But actually, if you read it closely, you'll see that's who Jesus is really aiming this parable at. That's the context. Now, it takes him a while to get there. He does it very cleverly. He builds it up. And it's a very touching and moving story. In fact, it's a shocking story to those hearers. And as he builds the story, he's drawing people into it. And their heartstrings are being moved. And then, bang, he gets right into what he's really saying, the point he really wants to make. And they're shocked when they hear that. Because there are three characters, and because on this occasion, I want to deal with this parable in a fuller way. So therefore, I'm not going to attempt today uh, to do the whole parable. Today, I want to talk about the first part regarding the prodigal. And then next Sunday morning, God willing, uh, we'll do the other two. And so, I know each one can be a standalone message, and we've done that in the past. But I want us to follow the thread and get to really see what Jesus is really saying, who he's saying it to, and why he's saying it. And as we read this, then, actually, it's not just for them, it's for us too. We, we need to see ourselves in parables. 
can we see ourselves in these parables? Because we, we ought to. That's what we ought to be looking for. What's, what's God saying to me today? Because he knows our hearts, and he knows what we're like. And so this is an incredible, clever way that Jesus uh, used uh, to teach. So let's begin to read now from verse 11. So then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now we have just read that, and for the most part, it didn't do anything for us. We just say, well, okay, so what? But had we have been standing there that day in that culture, knowing that culture well, we would have been absolutely shocked. Now, Jesus is shocking them to the very core with the things that he's saying. So we have to try to put ourselves into their shoes and understand a little bit of their culture, what they would have taken out of it. And when Jesus said a certain man had two sons, and the younger one says, Father, give me the portion of goods that belongs to me, this was appalling. This was disgraceful. Everyone there, including the tax collectors and the sinners, would have been shocked for the younger one to say anything was totally out of place, totally inappropriate. He was way down the packing order. So he had no right to say anything. But to say to his father, listen, I want what belongs to me now. In effect, he might as well have said to his dad, father, I wish you were dead and I would get your money. That's why they were shocked. Who would do that? So Jesus right away in this, what we think is a lovely little story, right away he shocks them. He gets their full attention. And no doubt, no doubt anger would begin to rise up in their hearts. They can't imagine anybody doing this to their father because in Eastern countries to this day, within the family, generally speaking, there's a, there's a tight-knit community and the father is the head, and the mother second, and then the elder brother be third, and the younger brother be fourth. There'd be a packing order in the whole family for him to say to his dad, Dad, I want your money now. I don't want to wait till you're dead. That could be years. I want it right now. And so Jesus really got their attention with this story. Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now, scripturally, and legally, the father had no reason to do that. Out of the goodness of his heart, he could have done it if he had wanted it. It was his money, it was his goods. He could have gave the sons any time whenever he wanted, before he died, if he wanted to. But he wasn't obligated to do that. And so the son, <laughs> this, younger, this younger son, was, this was galling to say to his dad, I want it now. Don't want to wait till you die. I want it right now. And then, so he divided to them his livelihood. A couple of things about that. He divided to them, both of them. He reckoned, well, if I'm going to give the younger brother, then I should give the older brother too at this time. So there's no tension. At least that sounds fair. Maybe that's why he did that. 
wasn't obligated to, but he did it. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, again, that doesn't really grab us the way it would have grabbed the people listening to Jesus. <laughs> he divided to them his livelihood. They would have been standing thinking, why is he doing this? What's wrong with this father? Why is he allowing his son to be so dishonorable? Any father would not allow that. Any father would have said, how dare you? Who do you think you are? You're the runt of the litter. And you're demanding this of me now, and I'm not even dead. Clear off. Get out of here. I disown you. The, most fathers would have disowned their sons at that point. So the group that was standing around were thinking, why doesn't he disown him? Why is he giving in to him? Why is he allowing this younger brother, to, this younger son to walk all over him and dishonor him and dishonor the whole family and dishonor the whole village? So you can see Jesus is deliberately shocking them, really making them think about this. Of course, the father loved this young son, loved him dearly, loved him deeply. And I think the father probably saw this coming. He probably saw the way the younger son was going and his attitude, how it changed. And, and we don't know, but maybe, maybe he had tried to prevent this. Maybe, maybe he had been extra nice to him and did things for him and tried to help him in many ways to try to avoid all of this. But the son was determined. Here's the problem. Sometimes God tries to prevent things in our lives, prevent us doing things or saying things or being something we shouldn't be. But if we keep insisting, if we keep wanting it, it may come a point where God will let you have it. The biggest danger for human beings is if God lets them always have what they want. Because oftentimes what we want is not what we should have. And often it's not what we need. But if we keep insisting, God may say, well, okay, I'll let you have it. But it's going to cause you problems. But I'll let you have it. And I wonder, is that the position perhaps the father had gotten into? In Psalm 106, let me, let me just, uh, just read this for you. In Psalm 106 and verse uh, 10. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. This is when he took them out of Egypt. And there was not one of them left. Then they believed his words and they sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works and they did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request. But he sent leanness into their souls. He gave them what they wanted. But spiritually, they paid a heavy price for it. In Romans chapter 1, verse 
verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, who refuse it, who put it down, who won't listen to it, who reject it. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Note this. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. There came a point when God said, okay, if that's what you want, if that's what you're going to worship, fine. I'll let you worship. I'll give you up to that. So he gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving in the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality and wickedness and covetousness, maliciousness and so forth and so on. But notice how God gave them up. God gave them over. In other words, God said, if that's what you really want. The people came to Samuel the prophet and said, we want a king like the other nations around us. Samuel said, this is not going to go well with you. God is your king. Let him rule you. No, we want a king to rule over us. So Samuel went to God. God says, okay, give them a king. If that's what they really want, they don't want me to rule, fine, give them a king. And they got a king. They got Saul. And boy, they paid a heavy price when they got Saul. He put their taxes through the roof. He took the best of their men into his armies. And so perhaps this young son, the father said, okay, I love you, son. I really love you. But if this is what you really want, if this is what you're insisting on, okay, I'll give it to you. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He didn't waste any time. Now, you have to understand also here, when it talks about his goods and his livelihood, he's not talking about the land. Uh, that, that's a different issue altogether. He's talking about goods that was in the home that would be divided up at this point. The land would maybe come later, but not right now. So he would gather up the, the, the household silver, anything that was valuable, all of that would be put together in a pile. It would be divided. The elder would get two-thirds, he would get one-third. And as soon as he got his share, he was off and running. He could not wait to get away from the father's house. He could not wait to get away from the father. He could not wait to get away from that whole community, that village. He just wanted away as quick as he could. And as soon as he could, he would turn those goods into cash that he could spend when he got away. So he gathered all together, and he journeyed to a far country. Now again, the listeners in Jesus' day, who were Jews, 
This just gets worse and worse to their ears. Because him going to a far country, he was going to go to a Gentile country. And for to go to a Gentile country and leave their country and leave his religion and relieve, leave everything that he had been brought up to believe and go out and live with those pagans out there, it was unimaginable to them. They could not believe what they were hearing. This younger son is just going from bad to worse. And so he goes to the far country. Where it was, we don't know. Some reckon it's probably Babylon, some big city that he's maybe heard about. You know, he's in a small parochial village, you know, and he's a young man now. He's at that age where he wants to sow his wild oats. And so he wants to head out somewhere, anywhere but where he is. And he's maybe heard about the bright lights of the big city, so that's where he's going to go, and he's got some cash in his pocket. Can't wait to get there to the far country. But then he was there, he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. In the King James, original King James Version, it says, with riotous living. And if you read what that really is, it means he spent most of his time in brothels. So his money wasn't going to last very long. Between bars and brothels, his possessions wasn't going to stretch that far. His father was a rich man, and he started out with a lot of money in his pocket. And somebody says, how to make a small fortune? Go to Las Vegas with a big fortune. Yeah, make a small fortune now. And so whatever he went out with in his pocket, it wasn't going to last very long. He wasted his possessions. Now, this is his father's possessions, and probably his grandfather's before that, and his great-grandfather. This is his whole heritage. And he's just taken it without any thought of how offensive this would be, how dishonorable this would be. He just wanted to go out there and sin as much as he could, and he didn't care about anybody. And so you can see this younger son was not a nice person. Certainly no love for his father, not even respect or honor for his father. And he goes out and he just wastes it. Prodigal means wasteful. Extravagant waste. He just threw it around him. And no doubt he had plenty of mates and plenty of friends when he had money in his pocket. But all that was to come to a crashing halt. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Just when he about spent everything he had, when he had nothing left, suddenly... A severe famine hits the land. Now, again, where we live, famines are rare. Uh, but in Middle Eastern countries, and certainly in Sub-Sahara countries, famine is quite regular. There's famines right now in Ethiopia, and I think it's Somalia or Sudan, maybe. It's raging there, and there's thousands and thousands who are starving to death. And so to be in a famine and have no money, and you can imagine any food that there was, the prices would have been through the roof. 
but he's broke, he's skint. And there's a famine. Famine is a horrible thing when you have nothing to eat and you're starving. In 1845, September 1845, there was a famine, potato famine, struck Ireland blight. This blight started in Belgium in June of 45. It migrated to Ireland. And it just was towards the end of the potato, the potato harvest. So, so a third of the potato harvest was lost. And so it was a crisis, but it wasn't a disaster. But the next year was an absolute disaster. The harvest was gone. And in the following year, they, they, they had to eat their seed potatoes just to live. And so there was little harvest that year. And then the following year was another severe famine. And so there was hundreds of thousands died of starvation. Our population in Ireland in 1841 was about over 8 million, 8.5 million. And it dropped to 6.2 million in 10 years. As about one and a half million people were gone. Three quarters of them died of starvation. The other three quarters have left to emigrate to other parts of the world. Emigration became a big thing in Ireland at that time. In fact, in 70 years, the population of Ireland halved. And we have never caught up ever since. So famine is a serious thing. And he's in the midst of it. And he's away from home. He hasn't got a friend in the world. He's got no money. Can you see how bad this is? But those Pharisees were thinking, well, it serves him right. <laughs> he deserves all he gets. I'm glad Jesus is telling this story because, boy, he, he really deserves it. That's what they were thinking. They were about to be shocked. And then it says, then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. Boy, I tell you, this hole he's digging is getting deeper and deeper. This is really, really bad. Joining himself to a citizen of that country? How could he do that? Has he no shame? Is there no honor in him at all? That's what they were thinking. And then it even gets worse. The citizen of that country, he sent them into his fields to feed swine. What's a nice Jewish boy doing in a far country feeding swine? Swine is the most detestable animal to a Jew. Would not touch them. Certainly wouldn't eat them. And he's now tending them. They can't believe their ears. How could he go that far? How could he sink that deep? And then it gets worse. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. These were carob pods. They were about the only thing that would grow in a famine. And the pigs were about the only things that would eat them certainly weren't really digestible for a human being. 
but he's so hungry, he's so starving, he was even envious and jealous of the very pigs that were eating these pods. He is in a bad way. He's in a bad state. So Jesus is building this story, and they're standing there, and you can imagine them tutting, shaking their head, disgusted, appalled. How could this be? And also thinking, well, he got what was coming to him. He didn't honor his father. He didn't honor his family. He didn't honor his village. He didn't honor his religion. He didn't honor his people. So he deserves everything he's getting. And Jesus deliberately made that story extreme that they would be thinking that. But when he came to himself, so when Jesus was telling this story and they were all ears and they were coming to their own conclusions never suspecting for one moment that Jesus was about to say and when he came to himself they thought Jesus would finish there and they would all go home thinking well that was a good story but he deserved everything he got end of but no Jesus was only starting. But when he came to himself, one writer said he had been beside himself. But now it says when he came to himself. There was a kind of a spiritual madness overtook this young man. <laughs> really was. He was beside himself. And now he's beside himself with hunger. What am I going to do? I'm starving to death. I have nothing, and if I stay here, I will die. And so finally, you thought it would have happened earlier on, wouldn't you? You thought when the famine hit, you thought that's when it would happen, that's when he would come to himself. But you see, sin does this. Sin keeps people going on and on and on and on. They know it's wrong, they know they're hurting, they know it's not going to end well, but they just keep going on. It's as almost as if I can't stop this. I can't stop this. But thank God, even though he did go on, and even though it did get worse, thank God in the end, he began to see sense. And he came to himself. And he must have thought, what a fool I am. What an idiot. What have I done with myself? Look at me. I'm dirty, I'm filthy, I'm hungry, I'm starving, I'm broke, I'm envying the very pigs, the very food that they eat. And his heart began to change. The Bible says that all we have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, we're sinners, but now we're saved by grace. And the most of us, unless you were born again when you were very, very young, most of us were foolish, rebellious, did things we knew were wrong, shouldn't have been involved in. Sometimes got ourselves into messes, some more than others. It was only the mercy of God that we're even here today. 
It's only God's grace that we're here. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we wouldn't be here. But he came to himself. He got to that point where enough was enough. I don't know. Everybody's different. So I don't know when enough is going to be enough for some people. Maybe they haven't got to rock bottom yet. Maybe they haven't come to themselves yet. Pray that they do. Pray that they do. Because it's not going to get any better for them, is it? The road they're on is only going to get worse and worse and worse. So pray that they will come to themselves and realize this is wrong. On so many levels it's wrong. I need to get back to the Father's house. And I'm sorry this morning, but I would love to continue that. But I'm going to leave that to next Sunday morning. Because Jesus is about to shock them even more. <laughs> what Jesus said about this Father was shocking to those listeners. It was shocking to the scribes and the Pharisees in one way, and it was shocking to the publics and sinners in another way, in a good way. The publicans and sinners listening to what Jesus is about to say next, it shocked them, but it must have delighted them. Because they must have thought, well, there's hope for me. But those scribes and Pharisees, it shocked them because they would not have, they would not have wanted this father to do what he did. But thank God he did because he's a father who loved. Jesus was telling this crowd, I love sinners. He's about to go to the cross to die for sinners. For those scribes and Pharisees hated sinners would not have wanted their souls to be saved. And Jesus was drawing a line in the sand here. And he was making them know and letting them know where they stood. Those hypocrites, those religious hypocrites. And he's exposing them to themselves and to everybody else. John Ortberg, the author, says the difference between... Sorry, one of the hardest things in the world is to stop the prodigal son without turning into the elder brother. Stop being the prodigal son and turn into the elder brother. Could we be an elder brother? Or could we have a heart like the father? We'll find out next week. What a parable. What a story. What lessons. What searching questions. Jesus wanted everybody to ask themselves who read this story. Can we see ourselves in it? I hope so. Because we're meant to. Let's pray. Lord, we're glad that you do confront us with the error of our ways because you love us. And you do not want any man or woman to be lost. You want us to be found. Found in you and found in Christ. 
So we thank you for your word that teaches us, that shows us your compassion and your love and your mercy and your grace, but also shows us that you can speak directly and strongly to get us to turn to you. So we give you thanks. We bless you. And help us, Lord, to see next Sunday, God willing, to see the love of the Father, to see his compassion and mercy. And help us to see, Lord, the elder brother spirit, that we may never, ever be like the elder brother, but to be like the Father, full of love and grace to the lost. So in this, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.